Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Today we're doing another of our international series discussions and we're joined today by Paul Comfort. Paul is a former CEO of two county governments and of the MTA in Maryland, which I'm sure he'll explain to us so we can understand the acronym. He has an international podcast called Transit Unplugged and again I'd be very keen to hear what he's going to tell us about that. We've just heard before we started that he's been out here in Australia just recently in April and he loves us, so that's good. He can stay. He can talk to us. <laughs> he's got some books that he's written himself and, and in conjunction with other CEOs, so we've got a lot of topics to cover in our discussion. So welcome, Paul. Good to have you with us. Thank you very much. Happy to be with you. Paul, maybe we can start by talking about we're going to talk about no regrets is the theme of this one. Tell us a little bit about your background in the industry and does it really matter what sort of background a person have to join the C-suites in corporate world? Absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me on. I'm talking to you today from near Washington, D.C., but as you mentioned, I was just recently in Australia to interview some of your top CEOs, speaking of CEOs, uh, of your transit systems, both in Canberra, Melbourne, and, also, and uh, Sydney. I've spent 30 years in the public transportation field with a slight uh, segue over into local government in America, mm -hmm. which we call counties. And I was a county administrator, which is like the CEO of a county government for two counties in Maryland, one near Washington, D.C., and then one over near Annapolis. And then was an elected official as well, just recently um, was elected as a top vote getter in my county for what's called a county commissioner. And it's funny because just recently I've been thinking about decisions that I made in my career and did I regret them. So it's funny that you wanted to talk about <laughs> no regrets because that is the title of my book, Full Throttle, Living Life to the Max with No Regrets. It's on um, Amazon and I did write it with nine other public transportation CEOs. Right, right. And uh, I think as I look back, I mean everybody's been watching Game of Thrones, right? It just went off the air recently. And my wife and I did a kind of – we didn't watch it with everybody else. We kind of watched it all eight seasons uh -huh. uh, in so the last did, few did, months. So you did the binge and, watching. Uh, so it was very, very powerful you know, impact when you watch it all like that. And one of the great scenes at the end – hopefully I'm not giving anything away – but Jon Snow has to uh, kill his girlfriend. It was potentially the, the queen. Right. And did it because Tyrion said, you know, we had to do it. She was going to be a dictator. And then he says to him afterwards, did I do the right thing? <laughs> Again, regrets, you know. Yeah, and he says, yeah. did we do the right thing? And he said, ask me in 10 years. I think that's a good analogy mm -hmm. is that, you know, a lot of times we make decisions in our personal lives with our spouses or friends or family or even in our careers and our companies. We're in, especially in management, we get the opportunity to make decisions. And we think they're right in the moment. And they always say hindsight's twenty twenty, uh, meaning you know you got to look back and see was that the right decision. And so, living life with no regrets, I think, means to me doing what you think is right in the moment. I mean, there yeah. really is no handbook for life and careers. The decisions that come up to you, every one of them is unique. You're a unique person, and you're in a unique situation. But I think we can look back at the outcomes of decisions that we've made in the past. So I've been looking back recently. Just this last week, I was on vacation in a place called Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And I had a lot of time to sit on the beach and think and reflect, did a lot of reading. And we had my family there, but had some, you know, kind of quiet time as well. Mm -hmm. And I thought about some several decisions in my life that ended up, I think, getting me uh, fired or getting me pushed out. It wasn't always, you know, firing these days. 
a lot of times senior managers don't get fired. They just get released from their contract or whatever. You get moved on. And, and I went back and analyzed them and thought, would I have made a different decision? And now, of course, in retrospect, I might have done some things differently because I would have learned from the decisions I made and the outcomes were the outcomes what I wanted. And so that's, I think, living life with no regrets to me means you have to make the decisions in the moment, but you also need to learn. Bill Gates said, success is a lousy teacher. It seduces smart people into thinking that they can't lose. Yes. And for, for some of us, like me, I've had a long string of successes in my career. I mean, just like salary-wise, I went back and analyzed my salary in the first 25 years of my career, and it went up like 40% every year from what I made my first year as a full-time employee for the next 20 years. And, uh, and so I had a string of successes in, in music where I banned and in building television stations for governments, you know, running for office, you know, running for association presidents of you know, state and national associations and winning. And, and I think it can lure you into thinking I can't be defeated. And you, it gives you a sense of um, invincibility yes. that is not good. You yeah. need to listen and learn from outcomes. You know, I'm not going to say they were mistakes because at the time, again, you know, I thought they were the right thing to do based on where I was at. But I think sometimes we have to remember that we don't get many redos in life. So we really need to learn by analyzing what happened in the past and listen to what's happening. Don't get caught up in your own internal narrative. We all want to be the hero of our own story. Mm-hmm. And we're all caught up in our own narrative. We have our own vision and our goals. People that are you know, hard chargers, the executives who you're speaking to on this podcast, we mm-hmm. all are get caught up. You know, We say, hey, you know, I remember going in one time for an interview, and I told this group of this board, uh, you know, don't hire me if you want me just to be a pencil pusher and do what you want me to do. You know, you're hiring me for my skills, my talent, my background, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm, I, I want you to hire me for my judgment. There's actually a book in the chapter called that, that, you know, executives are hired for their judgment. One of my bosses taught me that. But on the other hand, you know, uh, we need to, in, in order to not have any regrets going forward, we need to listen to what's really being said to us by the key stakeholders that are around us and not be so caught up in our own narrative mm-hmm. that we lose sight of what other people are saying. I think that's how to make sure that we don't have regrets and how you, how you make better decisions in the future. So would you say in that sense that communication is still the most vital key to any role? Yes, 100% I agree with that. I I think communication is the number one skill for an executive in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. I think you have to be able to communicate verbally and in writing in a very effective way because executives now are called on to give a progressive vision. You know, the good Mm -hmm. book says without a progressive vision, we dwell carelessly. And I believe in that. I believe we have to be able to set a vision for our for our team. That's what being a real leader is. And then, you know, managing all the things that have happened that, that have to happen after that vision is articulated and continued to be communicated is key. That's the number one skill you have to have. But the, there's a number one ability is the ability of adaptability. I think you have to adapt. And that's the that's the theme of my book, Full Throttle, and the other nine CEOs. So there's 30 chapters. They're all stories. It's an easy read. You can read the yep. book in two or three hours because they're fun stories with lessons learned from our careers. And mm-hmm. the theme of it is you have to be able to adapt. If you come in full throttle, you know, using the, that analogy like yep. you're driving a boat, yep. let's say you're coming in full throttle, which means full speed to get through a tough situation. You might even get knocked out of the boat yourself. You're going so fast over the waves that you get knocked out, uh, metaphorically speaking. 
Mm. And so you've got to be able to adapt and get into other boats that are coming by. Yeah. You can't be stuck with your original dream. Mm. Uh, you know, there's an old mm. saying that shoot for, you know, the stars. You may not get there, but you'll get higher than you ever would have yeah. if you didn't shoot really high. And I, I really believe that. And I think we have to be able to adapt in our careers and adjust. Uh, I never thought I'd be vice president of the world's largest transportation software technology company. <laughs> I mean, never in, in my wildest dreams that I think I would work for this company that I had used their software for 20 years. Mm, but yeah. the opportunity came and they offered me basically the opportunity to be an industry ambassador for them. Uh, and it fit right into my skill set. Yeah. I would never have thought that I would have done that based on the 29, 30 years I had prior to that. But I was adaptable. And mm -hmm. we talked about it and they said, what would you like to do? And we agreed on what my role would be. And here I am two years later, fulfilling that 30-year career I had of, in transportation. Now I'm able to share that, not just with – and that's what the MTA is, by the way. MTA is the – it used to be called the Mass Transit Administration. Okay. Now it's the Maryland yeah. Transit Administration. Right. It's basically like the Sydney Rail yeah. or the Metro. Yeah, yeah the, the Metro system for a city. So it's a, it was the Metro system for Baltimore. So we had a subway, a light rail system, a bus system. It's the 11th largest public transport system in America that I was CEO of for a couple of years. And then after that, using all those skills and knowledge and experience I've gained, now I'm able to share that with CEOs all over the world. I've interviewed maybe 65 of them in the last 18 months. We talk about what they're doing and we talk offline and I'm able to share best practices and writing for magazines, and, yeah. you know, all kinds of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. But again, the, the communication ability and the adaptability is key. That leads nicely into one of the things that we wanted you to talk to us about. And that's what you see is more important for the economy at large, leaders or results driven CEOs. Yes. I, I don't want to be like Dwight Eisenhower, our president, <laughs> who said he never met a one-handed uh, <laughs> economist, because they always say on the one hand, but on the other hand. Yeah. But I got to tell you, <laughs> I really think I really think you need both for the economy. And I guess it depends on what your definition of leader is. Not to quote Bill Clinton, depending on what the definition of is is, right? But the mm -hmm. definition of a leader to me is someone who can get people to do things yes. that they would not have been able to do on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so you're able to inspire them, give them a vision, and then empower them. Yes. to accomplish that. Yes. Uh, so that's leader. And you need that, right? We know we yeah. need that for our economy. They just had the G20 summit, all these political leaders that were there. We know we, know we need leaders. Yes. <laughs> so I think they're both important. How did you come to the decision to write a book with other CEOs? Was it you who initiated it? Was someone else? And how did you all agree to do that? Well, that's a good question. Just to wrap up my previous one, mm. I think that leaders can be results-driven. So at the MTA, I considered myself uh, a leader, not a manager. Uh, you know, managers manage things, yeah. leaders lead people, mm -hmm. but you can be a results-driven leader. And so that's what I did. I set up metrics, and most great leaders know that, that you have to measure by the numbers. If you don't, well, you don't measure, can't get managed, the old adage. While you set a vision in front of your, in front of your team and you, uh, you help empower them to accomplish it, then you have to set up. What are the agreed upon benchmarks to reach? So you set up your big goals. I have like an eight part actually speech I do on this all over the world about how to come into an organization. It's called bending the bureaucracy toward excellence. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's online. You can find it. Uh, I've written it in several magazines, versions of it. If you, or you can go to my LinkedIn page. And I think I have it on my LinkedIn page as well. And it's a chapter in my book about it. So, but the idea being that, you know, in addition to setting this vision and getting everyone going on it, then you, you know, figure out what the goals are, then you set measurable, achievable metrics, and, you know, then you make iterative progress toward it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what happened with the book. I've always wanted to write a book, 
but I was always too busy to write a book, it felt like. And then when I got this job, I had some time. So I talked to my bosses. I said, do you mind if I write a book? And no, as a matter of fact, uh, the CEO of my company, Mark Miller, said, I'll even write a chapter. I asked yeah, him to. He said, yeah, I'll write a chapter. <laughs> but how it got started was I wanted to write a book. I felt like I had, I still got probably, you know, 100 stories in me. Just wild stuff. A lot of it I can't talk about because I'd probably get sued. I'm an attorney as well, so I understand the risk there. And I try to be true in the stories, you know, and tell what really happened. And, but some of the stuff, you know, waking up on a Saturday morning with one of the county commissioners calling me at 7 a.m., screaming profanities at me. And, uh, you know, that was one of the decision points I made to shut off my phone at nighttime. <laughs> when I, when, so I wouldn't be woken with a shock like that. But um, and I remember our state senator, E.J. Pitkin, told me many times, Paul, you got to write a book. you got to write it. This is when I was managing county government. So many wild things that happen in local government. The self-ego motivated local politicians, just mm -hmm. amazing. Part of the problems with transit systems in the world is that a lot of the decisions are made by elected officials yes. who want to see their names on brass plaques as they <laughs> open up a new line. And so they want to you know, build that new line out to the airport. Or build. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it isn't necessary, but they fail to listen to the CEO of the transit system, the professional who says, listen, all right, we can do that, but we also need to maintain our track. We need to make sure that there's not a derailment. Yes, and so yeah. a lot of these systems uh, end up in disarray because all the money is spent on the sexy new light, light rail line or mm -hmm. metro or just whatever, mm -hmm. and there's not enough money being spent on the non-sexy work of making sure that the uh, signals are up to date and you know, the systems are updated. And so that's part of my talk to CEOs all over the world is you've got to, got to make sure that part of your key performance metrics that you measure and that you show to your board and your stakeholders is the maintenance of way of your system, you know, system maintenance. I was actually in Australia, as I mentioned, in April, and I spoke to the Australia Asian Railway Association. Mm. And my talk to them was about asset management. And oh. I met with the asset management subgroup. So all the people that are in charge of managing the assets, that's the track, the linear assets, and the rail cars, and the buses, mm. and the buildings, and all the, all the stuff that makes a system. They were all there from all the transit systems in Australia and a bunch of them in Asia. And I gave a big presentation about, you know, we need to follow ISO 55000. We need to make sure you have a good software system in place that will track all this. And then you need to, you know, grade it like we do here in America. We actually grade all of our assets and we use those grades to inform our funding decisions going forward. And that becomes part of the policy. And then you don't get off track by politicians who say, oh, no, 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 we've got to spend, you know, a half a billion dollars for this. And you can say, sorry, sir, uh, you know, we've already agreed. The board has set a policy that we're going to focus on. Uh, asset management, and we've got the funding in place in our capital budget to do that. Mm -hmm. So all these stories and ideas were in my head about things I'd learned over the years, and I said, I've got to write a book. Uh, and, you know, I worked for a couple years trying to get a publisher. Finally, a good friend of mine, Mark Ash, who's a you know, world-renowned, best-selling author with two books of 120,000 copies each, said, Paul, just self-publish your first book because it's going to be so narrow-cast. It's focused mm -hmm. on the public transportation industry and leadership. And so I said, all right, I'll do that. And then I thought, actually, my brother suggested to me, Derek, he said, um, you know, because I was going to get some of my friends who were CEOs to write liners for the book cover, you know, and say, you know, hey, Paul knows what he's talking about. You should read this book. Yeah. And some of them did, like Phil Washington, CEO of LA Metro and others. But then my brother said, why don't you actually get them to write a whole chapter? They've got some probably pretty cool stories, too. And I said, mm -hmm. you know what? You're right. So I talked to a bunch of my buddies in the business, and nine of them uh, said, yeah, we'd be happy to write. Some of them were going to write it, but they couldn't get it done. By the deadline, and I said, you know, if I do a second book on resilience, you know, you can write a chapter then. But we ended up with these 
other CEOs. And there's some great stories in the mm -hmm. book if you want to get into some of them in a little bit. But, mm -hmm. you know, Mark Miller, as I mentioned, the CEO of Alaris and Trapeze Group, Brad Thomas, the president of First Transit, which is a worldwide company that manages city transit systems. He's president here in the Americas. Robbie Mackinnon, one of my best buddies, he's CEO of the Kansas City Area Transit Authority, and he's blind. Uh, he's mm -hmm. the only CEO of a major transit system in America that, that is blind. He lost his sight as an adult. And he and I worked on a chapter together called Change Comes at, comes at the End of Your Comfort Zone. And if you want, I'd, I'd like to get in and talk to you about that. I think it's a great story for any executive about dealing with you know, crisis in your life. He went blind seven years ago as an adult and, ha and how it propelled him into leadership. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there's some other folks, uh, Peter Schneck uh, out of Switzerland, Matt Cole, CEO of Cubic which is a big company that actually did some of the work, I think, in your transit systems there in, in Australia. Edward Johnson from Orlando, Kevin Jones with MV Transportation, Mark Joseph, who's head of a big company called TransDev, and Gary Rosenfeld, who's head of Memphis Transit, where Elvis is from. So anyway, these are the guys that came through for me and wrote chapters, and we had a lot of fun working on it together. As I mentioned, it's available on Amazon. It's an audio book as well as a hard copy. Wow. Next week, I'll be in Chicago. They wanted me to do a book signing up there at a conference, and so... It's, uh, it's being very well received. That's great. Okay, we're going to take a little break in our discussion with Paul and continue in part two where we'll delve into a little bit more detail the learnings, the lessons, the content that he has shared along with these other CEOs in his book. But for now, I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne and we've been talking with Paul Comfort. This is Inside Exec. Mm -hmm. 